Yes, and welcome to Freightonomics. Uh, it's been a few weeks. It's been a little bit, but we're back uh, after a little bit of a, a little bit of time off here. I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence. Here with me, as always, Anthony Smith, Lead Economist here at Freightways, and this is Freightonomics, where we discuss uh, freight market, freight activity, transportation, supply chain. Uh, in combination with the macroeconomic environment and bring the two together so that you can take some form of action into your life, uh, whether it be from the supply chain perspective, the economic or financial perspective, or just for general knowledge purposes here at Freightonomics. Anthony? That's right. So Freightonomics, I'm lead economist Anthony Smith here alongside you. Here. Strickland. So we are going to be watching, of course, I'm watching. If you see me looking down, that's because I'm looking at the LinkedIn and we are live streaming right now if you're watching at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on this lovely Thursday. So if anything at all jumps out to you, you want to jump into the conversation, feel free to leave some messages here. We can have you join in on the conversation. But without further ado, Zach, there's been some news. Yeah, we've had a we've had a big we got we had some time. Uh, there's some things. January is not the January that many people were expecting uh, in the transportation sector. But uh, you know, today's show we're going to dive into a few of the earnings reports, see what we take away from that, uh, as well as uh, ask this question of what is going to happen next in terms of transitioning from this pandemic-style management uh, structure that the government and many companies have in, employed to an, more of an endemic, this is the way that we live and manage with COVID being part of just the permanent structure. Unfortunately, that's the way that it looks like it's going to be uh, for the moving forward. Now, whether it turns into a flu or some other thing, maybe it just turns into a cold and fizzles out, God willing, uh, <laughs> you know, that that's up to medical experts. We're not going to debate that here. Uh, today, uh, but there is a lot. There's there's just so much structural changing going on that we're going to dive a little bit deeper into. But first up, we've had a few big earnings reports, yeah, uh, and they were surprising. Uh, let's dive into the news, newsonomics first. Let's get some things going here. Um, and we've had some earnings reports, but first up, uh, I really want to hit on this one story that's up on our website right now. Prologis Logistics real estate vacancies will see all-time low in 2022. Now, if you've been listening to the show, the podcast, uh, over the last year or so, warehousing has become an increasingly important uh, piece of the supply chain puzzle. And Prologis, of course, a huge uh, provider of that warehousing space. Uh, they, they, they had some big takeaways from this article, Anthony. And one of them uh, is the fact that this year closed with 98.2% of Prologis's portfolio being under a lease. Yeah. 98.2%. So less than a 2% vacancy rate. Yeah. And see, I mean, there's this lovely graphic they have on the article. If you look at it on freightways.com, of course, it shows all the breakouts. And we're seeing things like the occupancy, occupancy rate at a 97.4, an increase of 160 basis points year over year. We're seeing that because it was at 95.8. And you think, all right, that's pretty high. Then it increases even more so right. uh, throughout the fourth quarter of 2021. So we are seeing that that capacity, kind of take that verbiage over onto this space as well, yeah. is tightening right. so much. 
in this warehouse. It, it can't be built fast enough. Yeah, and uh, you know they they basically say the catalysts are increased consumption, demographic growth, growing e-commerce fulfillment demand, those fulfillment centers that we've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, they all require faster service, and many supply chains are still looking to rebuild inventories. And I think beyond rebuilding, we're talking about expanding. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those, those fulfillment centers need to grow. They need to have inventory levels available when those demand spikes occur, which you have to forecast for, you have to yeah. prepare for. And the big thing around it is like, yes, we need more fulfillment centers. Not only does it take time, it takes resources. I mean, it takes me back to the age of empire days. <laughs> you want to build a new town center. Nice. You need all the supplies to build that town center. Same with these warehouses. You need all those supplies. So it's not just enough to have the time to build it. You also need all the stuff that goes into it. And so if these are getting built, what are these resources being taken away from? Potentially, that's also in a short demand or, or a short uh, yeah. fill order. So I think it's crazy to see how tight the capacity is here for sure. But really, we're not even there yet. We still need more. We still need to continue <laughs> to build out. E-commerce isn't going anywhere. It's not fizzling no. away. Um, we're going to talk about retail sales a little bit later on here. But that's an ongoing, growing thing. And that's only going to be continued to grow, not only get bigger, but the changes within e-commerce, we're gonna have to get it faster. Mm -hmm. Consumers are gonna want it more instantly and, and all the other different variables and nuances around that delivery system. Yeah, I think uh, it goes without saying that this is gonna be a huge factor. This is gonna be one of those things that's semi-permanent yeah. <laughs> uh, coming out of the, the pandemic era, if you will, if, we're, if you can really even call it that at this point. Uh, so Prologis now estimates that estimates that new construction underway throughout the market is 70% leased. So that's the stuff that's upcoming, well above historical levels. So not only is, are we full now, we're 70% occupied into the future as they're building these. And they can't just, this isn't a McDonald's. Yeah. They can't just pull up a warehouse and say, here it is. Uh, so future, uh, future structures are pretty much booked as well uh, for the most part, uh, almost three quarters of the way there. So, so big stuff there, yeah. uh, because that just means that inventory is going to have to move quicker through the supply chain uh, to account for all that full warehouse space. Um, and I would expect some of that kind of pulls back, because I don't know if everybody's going to anticipate the same inventory management level. I don't know. Big, big questions moving forward for inventory management, for sure. Uh, the next story, huge, uh, come, uh, huge earnings uh, call for J.B. Hunt, uh, who posted fourth quarter earnings per share of $2.28, easily outpacing the consensus estimate of $2.02 a mile, or $2.02 per share, and the year-ago result of $1.44, Anthony. Wow. $1.44. I mean, we, it's it's $2.28 per share from $1.44, almost near double. I mean, it's incredible, uh, you know, <laughs> what what that number actually is saying and the fact that uh analysts and you know the people that are paid to estimate these earnings were uh well under yeah. uh, what they expected it, and and most of this is of course applied to just rate inflation i, I mean yeah. you've got shippers bidding for capacity consistently but you know, JB Hunt is a little different and you need to understand their structure a little bit. They are largely intermodal. Uh, so intermodal congestion being a factor in that third quarter probably dampened a little bit of the earnings estimates uh, for the fourth quarter, which is why that number was be, be, uh, below that. Uh, but the dedicated unit, we, they obviously, they decided to commit a little bit more dedicated as their largest truckload sector. 
Uh, and that's, of course, the consistent, I'm going to run this same route every day type movement. Uh, a truck shows up whether you need it or not type stuff. Uh, these are long-term contracts. Uh, they, they expanded that unit quite a bit. And brokerage, of course, booming. I, I mean, the numbers on the brokerage side, uh, you know, expanding almost $200 million year yeah. over year. Yeah, showing that the revenue for brokerages increased 25.8% year over year. <laughs> I mean, 25% revenue growth. That's something for like a newish company. <laughs> Not like usually that you see from an established, you know, company or business that's been around for years and years and decades and decades. It's not something that you typically see from a, a company this mature. No, and, and, and J.B. Hunt, ICS has been around quite a while now. Uh, yeah, just ridiculous freight market conditions right now. Um, the big takeaway for me, though, uh, other than the ridiculous revenue growth, uh, margins didn't really expand that largely. Uh, for the most part, the truckload margin dropped from 20, 94 to 90 uh, you know, and then we had the brokerage sector, which they don't report, um, the margins, but it's, uh, or yeah, they, they went up to 12.2% from 10.8%. So not like a lot of profit margin expansion, but general organic growth, yeah. uh, the big story there. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that those costs are inflating along with, <laughs> uh, the price increases. So, but the big takeaway for me was that they expanded their fleet, their truckload fleet by nearly 400 units over year over year. Um, we didn't see them commit to expansion and maybe it was because of the supply chain issues, but mm -hmm. that's an insane amount of equipment addition. That's 22.3% year over year expansion in their fleet. That's wild. So, mm -hmm. but are they gonna get any of it? <laughs> they, they, they already did. Okay, they already they got already it. Got they already got, got that. That's the stuff they did. Okay, I was thinking of this future. Yeah. But that, they do cite that uh, equipment deliveries are still going to be a headwind moving forward gotcha. uh, throughout the year. And so when we're looking at this, the other big thing is, of course, um, J.B. Hunt, on some of these calls, you try to get some of the outlook mm -hmm. um, from some of these big players. Todd Maiden did a great job of covering yes, Todd this Maiden. call, so a huge shout-out to him as well. But J.B. Hunt played the cards a little bit closer to the chest on this one not really giving too much of an outlook or their expectations for um, their side of the business. Yeah, I think that's a s obvious play at this point. I mean, even even if you have been in the industry for a long time, that's almost a handicap. Yeah. Uh, because there's you're you're kind of biased towards what has happened and uh, you know, title of the show today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the topic of the show today is of course we're we're structurally changing our economy right now. Our, and that and that includes all the business and all the players and participants underneath it. Uh, so predicting the future, not something that I, I don't think a lot of us want to be <laughs> in that business of right now. Another company uh, posted some earnings. Pam Transportation uh, posted some big numbers as well. Uh, they, care, they reported adjusting earnings per share of $2.85 uh, per share, more than double a year ago amount and 88 cents better than the consistent consensus estimate. So Different company, similar story, uh, really outperformed expectations, really had a huge fourth quarter, uh, and the revenue growth, 43% uh, up year over year. That does include fuel uh, So, uh, for the truckload side. And their logistics portion <laughs> nearly doubled, uh, growing uh, roughly 67%. I said not doubled, but two-thirds <laughs> growth there. Um, 
year over year. So their brokerage side increased, their truckload side expanded, everything all around. Basically, everybody's capitalizing on this huge freight market. Yeah, and I think um, one of the things that they they mentioned, of course, is that they have relatively new uh, equipment. So yeah. their equipment isn't aging out like a lot of carriers probably would be facing that problem. It's like, hey, our average fleet age is getting up there. This is going to be a concern for overhead costs. But they are really sitting nicely right now. Yeah, and especially. their OR their OR shows it uh, that they weren't as exposed to some of these costs increase as much as of these. Uh, underlying cost increases, their OR dropped from 86.8% to 79.2. So another sub 80 OR club for a truckload provider, which is for those of you that follow this or look at it, that is, that's kind of like the holy grail yeah. <laughs> for a truckload carrier to be under 80 and under an 80 OR. Uh, but that being said, there's still a lot of questions moving forward. They didn't put any uh, strong guidance uh, out there as well as I think most people would shy away from, at least for the time being. But I think that uh, we can somewhat anticipate, and according to a lot of our data, we're still in this really busy sector for freight uh, right now. Uh, and on that same note, the last story of the day, Port of Long Beach smashes annual record despite December speed bump. Uh, Kim Link Wills wrote this one. Um, Port of Long Beach reported Wednesday that it moved more cargo in 2021 than any in its 110-year <laughs> history. I mean, I believe it. I, I, I don't think this is a shocking story by any means. This is not a shocking story, but I do want I do have something to bring this. I, I want to throw a little bit of a curveball at you if we have. Uh, this chart uh, that I wanted to show uh, here. Now, this is the customs in our Sonar platform. This is customs. This is shipments that are clearing, that have cleared the ports of New York, New Jersey. They're represented in the blue line. Uh, and the stuff that has cleared uh, the ports of Long Beach and Los Angeles there and the green line, year-over-year -year trend line. Looking at these two port conglomerates, <laughs> uh, it's not just happening on the West Coast. It's happening on the East Coast as well. Uh, we're seeing the ports all across the United States expand. And year over year in the month of December, uh, New York, New Jersey shipment clearing 18% higher than last year. Uh, and of course you see down there, Los Angeles, Long Beach, about 12% higher. Now the big takeaway here is don't sleep on the rest of these port conglomerates. Yeah. Um, you know, we're already seeing this transition. Uh, you know, not that you can sit out there and say, okay, we're not gonna, you know, Los Angeles is obviously not growing as fast. Los Angeles's base is much higher. Mm -hmm. uh, so those percentage, that percentage growth rate is, is based off a much higher starting amount than the, uh, the port of Los, uh, New York, New Jersey. So got to keep that in mind. As this persists in the uh, freight market, though, uh, I want to bring up one uh, little graphic here, the map here that we were talking about this morning on freight waves now, the weighted rejection index. All you need to know here, Blue means tightening week over week. Red, orange means loosening. And if you look on the coasts, you can see this happening. We're seeing tender rejection rates drop on the East Coast up there around Elizabeth, New Jersey, where that port action is, and declining on Los Angeles, Long Beach, out there in Ontario. And yeah. you saw it this morning with our market dashboard stuff. The rates are already inflated on the West Coast. Mm. They're not as inflated on the East Coast. You got a shorter length of haul. Everybody knows that the, you know, the West Coast has got a lot of freight still yet to move. This imbalance in the market is continuing to play out as we speak. And a lot of those rejection rates up there in New York, New Jersey uh, are driving 
the national OTRI higher? Yeah, I think Out that's a great point. I mean, you, you just kind of um, really glazed over it. But <laughs> the fact that a percentage increase means so much more in the West Coast than it does in the East Coast, yeah. I think is a huge point to really kind of drill home here. The other big thing is, of course, Kim Link-Wills made a, an excellent, I think uh, she wrote the article, groundforitwaste.com, she made an excellent um, point to say that efficiency improvements still sought. There's a whole section on that one. And that's going to be the huge yep. thing to come for some time is that efficiency standpoint. It's just that mm-hmm. yet the, the volume can continue to increase and continue to increase or, you know, moderate at this very high level. But if there is no efficiencies improvements, what, what's going on here? Exactly. And it takes a lot of time and energy and bureaucracy is involved in a lot yeah. of these decisions. So that's definitely going to persist for a while. So we need to transition into the topic of the day which is what is going to happen next? Like yeah. we've had this discussion before in regards to, okay, new year, new me type thing. But this is more about what is Omicron and COVID and all this? What does this mean moving forward? What are some of the economic impacts uh, that we can expect to last? Uh, and that, of course, transfers down into the company environment, the, you know, where we see businesses act. And I guess, you know, I want to lead off here with, what are the, some of the things that are going to exit that we're done with in terms of, uh, you know, the pandemic era? Like, what are, what are some of the things we've kind of said, okay, we're not going to have to deal with this anymore? Um, I think for sure for there are certain roles, if you don't have to be in office, you won't be in office for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, remote roles for a lot of different mm-hmm. positions. I think that's a big one. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more, of course, not just for those roles, but for roles that maybe we'd even think of before maybe certain industries are just completely just kind of upended. It's like, eh, you don't have to be here for this. We don't even need office space for you guys anymore. Get rid of it altogether. Turn it into a warehouse. (laughs) Yeah, turn turn it into into a warehouse. (laughs) And now you guys can just all operate in the metaverse. So you think, so you're basically saying you think that uh, the having to be in office function is now a thing of the past. For certain companies, for sure. Mm -hmm. I think um, certain companies have seen like, hey, I can go completely remote 100%. Mm -hmm. That does away with one part of the overhead Mm -hmm. where you don't need to kind of get an office space anymore. You can just really reallocate some of those funds. Maybe you send out uh, more merch or you kind of sponsor some of your employees like, hey, you get a standing desk at home, right. we have an employee benefit program here for that, something like that. I, I agree with you mostly. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you mostly, but I do think there's going to be some hybridization here. And I think there's a lot of companies still figuring this out. Now, oh, I, sure. I, and what I think this means for the economy in the more permanent basis is that durable goods and, you know, we're going to come out of this boom, mm-hmm. this, e- this economic boom from the durable goods. But I do think there's going to be a stronger demand. I think this remote lifestyle uh, is there's going to be a piece of it that remains and persists. And that means there's going to be more people buying stuff. And we're going to have, you know, I've said it before, the, when Ford gave his employees Saturday off, <laughs> it changed the economic environment because it gave people more free time to buy stuff. Yeah. And that drives economic growth. And that's what we've seen over the last year is people have more free time to buy stuff. And they're spending more time in their houses buying that stuff up, as we've seen with furniture growth things like that, that's going to come out. We're going to come out of this boom cycle. I think we're done with these huge spiking activities. I say that as we're approaching the anniversary of the (laughs) Texas freeze, but (laughs) I I think we're done with that for the moment. Um, Not to say that that's not a thing that 
But I think we're done with that. And I think we're done with these total shutdowns. Yeah. I think we yeah. can move on from that. So you don't have to worry about April of 2020 again, at least in this disaster. <laughs> yeah. And I think another big part of it is that a lot of it's going to be regional mm-hmm. on a you know, place to place basis. So it's really interesting when you look at levels, of course, Omicron rising mm-hmm. rapidly. Maybe it was rap- raising rapidly in New York and mm-hmm. it didn't quite hit other parts of the country. Now it's coming down mm-hmm. in the East Coast, while other parts of the country never even got the ramp up yet. Right. And so there's going to be different variants that we're going to see depending on where you are within the country. And of course, where you are in the world, what some of those protocols are there, what some of the population centers are like. Is it a densely populated area or is it Wyoming and you right. don't see anyone ever? So I think those are going to be some of the differences that we see throughout the country as well. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, I think that's, that's all we can really say definitively at this point is yeah. that this nasty reaction, you know, and shutting down type thing is probably over with. I say that kind of <laughs> holding my hands like this because it's a little nerve wracking to, to I'm hoping that that's the case. Uh, but I think there's going to be some permanent things that have come out of this in terms of employment. You know, you just hit on the remote work thing. Yeah. That also means that as new variants emerge, I think we're still going to think differently about how we work <laughs> and how we go into offices and, and exit them. I think we're going to still have these production disruptions. I think those are going to be persistent. So that means that you're going to have to carry more employees than you used to because you're going to have a less efficient environment to operate in. Uh, you know, we come and go out of the office and we can work remotely pretty easily. And I'm not talking about straight up office workers. I'm talking about the people that are producing things. You know, we're going to do a nearshoring episode at some point yeah. uh, to talk about that. But the production line workers, you have to shut down depending on the severity of the outbreak, the variant, whatever disease comes around next. Um, I think that's going to persist. And I think that means that we're going to have to see these employment bases grow a little bit bigger, which is not bad news for the average worker, but it means companies are going to have to reevaluate their employment levels at this point. Yeah, and that's going to go a huge part into training. You're Mm -hmm. going to have to train up a lot more people instead of having a lot of dependency on maybe it was like, hey, these three are Mm -hmm. solid. These three are always going to be here. Mm -hmm. These three just tested positive. Now (laughs) who's next up? And so... And those three also did five other things that no one knew about. And exactly. so that's going to be a, an, an issue to really kind of have to overcome mm-hmm. for a lot of companies. To the big part you touched on, productivity. Of course, mm-hmm. that's going to take some productivity hits. But at the same time, you're going to have to be more productive during those times than you were before. So now, in case of a shutdown, you have to get more done in between those times, playing catch up, mm-hmm. getting caught up, then getting ahead than when you were pre-pandemic, of course. And so I think that productivity is going to take a hit, but on an individual basis, you're going to have to really drive that productivity level um, even more so on an individual. And for those of you that haven't gone out in the world and gotten that remote work, when you work remotely, your hours of the day expand (laughs) that you are available. You are no longer an eight to fiver. You are now available all hours. Any broker (laughs) is already like this anyway. So any freight broker watching already lives this way more than likely. But that clock is now expanded. You are now, you are not off limits. Uh, So that's going to change the way that we do things. Like that's changed the way we purchase, changes our lifestyle. We're still figuring this stuff out. So I think that's going to be a definite permanent fixture, uh, which I don't necessarily, you know, I I don't know if it's good or bad. It's going to be good and bad for depending on your environment. And, uh, but I think there's going to be definite economic impacts there for purchasing behavior and whatnot. Um, And of course, 
e-commerce. It's, it's, it's here to stay. It's here to stay. The way that we order stuff is, is going to be, we're, we're already seeing it. And I guess the big takeaway here is we're not done seeing this transition. Yeah, I think my big question is, of course, I think, we're like you said, we're here to stay for e-commerce, mm -hmm. but how much of it really shifts to the metaverse? Can you see yourself <laughs> buying a picture to hang in your virtual apartment that you got on, you know, the metaverse? Is that NFTs? Is that going to be a big resurgence here in 2022? That, that to me is a sign that we have too much wealth in this company <laughs> or this, this country, uh, period. But uh, until I can get my online oil change, um, <laughs> I'm not going to write off all the dur durable goods and economic impact of the service side industry. Well, I heard a story about a woman using her headset while she was getting her oil change to go virtually grocery yeah. shopping yeah. instead of just opening up her phone app and just using... And she was virtually going through the store, I guess, instead of just opening the app and getting a checklist out. But we will get there one day. All that means is more fulfillment centers and a lot more uh, on-demand freight and stuff like that moving around. Um, you know, panic behavior, I think that's actually going to be exaggerated moving okay. forward at this point. So... You think the panic behavior is going to continue? I think it will. I think we're going to see these knee-jerk reactions. Run-ups on different items, things like that. Yeah, it's not going to be an aggregate panic, okay. but it'll be it'll be around. Guys, drink more water. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a and great we'll see week. you on the next episode.